boobs, titties, mama memories. Where do we call them? We like them. Whether you're a nasty little pervert that finds titties hot, to a slightly less nasty little pervert that likes how they feel, to even someone that just respects what they symbolize and were evolved to do, you love titties. And who won't want to protect them? This is what some of these straw men in my head say about the trope we're talking about today. Join me as we take a walk down memory lane and talk about the titillating and absurd history of boob armor on Why Aren't You Talking About This? Nerd Edition. And welcome to Why Aren't You Talking About This Nerd, a.k.a. Waitat Nerd. Thank you so much for listening to episode 2 of the podcast. Whether you're a true fan, or sent this by one of my friends, or that Tinder date that was actually an advertising plant, or an unfortunate person that was unlucky enough to know literally anyone that believes in me, thank you for listening. It means the world of my bad opinions are burrowing into your ears like the spiders are absolutely also in your ears. This is... Usually the part of the show where I'd give updates, tell you important announcements and correction emails that can't wait, or otherwise give you some info related to the show. But because I'm recording in batches for the first three episodes going out, I'm not going to be responding in this section to your emails. Because first of all, I'm way too lazy to edit an episode after the fact. And also, it's still early, I don't expect to get a lot of emails. Hopefully. Anyways... I'm sure you're wondering how this even works. Well, every episode I'll be picking a nerdy topic that I feel strongly about or that is making the rounds in social media or in the zeitgeist, tell you the history and what I think about it, other people's opinions, and then finally, how to use the topic to your advantage and why it even matters in the first place. But, you know, that's all the boring episode intro stuff. Let's talk about boobs. Unlike last episode, this is a topic that I'm legitimately tired of seeing and might be the first of the spicy takes on this show. And that is the trope of the metal bikini and the broader category fits into boob armor. Now, what is boob armor? Well, so what it is, it's also called boob plate, uh, describes the tendency in games, movies, and TV to poorly design female armor. And no, I don't mean like cardboard cosplay or History Channel show poorly designed. I mean poorly designed as in having high heels, two separate tit cups, uh, belly button gaps, a a fully carved butt with anatomically correct butthole, uh, missing armor on the butt altogether, armor that ignores that long hair is very, very easy to grab in a fight, and boob windows. 
basically anything that compromises the protectiveness of the armor so that your quote-unquote straight audience knows what it's safe to jerk off to. Metal bikini, on the other hand, represents a more specific part of the trope. That being the character wears literally only enough to not get in trouble with the censorship board. On the most extreme end, this is literally nipple tassels and a strip of metal that covers the butthole and cooch. And what do these tropes have in common? Well, they're primarily, to make female characters eye candy, wearing something that entirely negates its purpose and causes massive detriments. So, for example, a character from the Tundra North wearing a metal bikini because she's a barbaric warrior woman is the most common use of this trope. And, you know, ignoring that, you know, it gets kind of fucking nipply in places like Scandinavia and the motherfucking Arctic, and she turned to a frostbitten corpse almost immediately. Now, here's the thing about this trope. Well, sure, you can argue that the metal bikini thing can also be applied to male characters, and that plenty of gay people and women also want to see lots and lots of near cock shots. Honestly, you're kind of being a dickhole. Because you and I will fully well know that when a straight artist creates eye candy, quote-unquote, for the ladies and the gays, they aren't doing this trope. When this trope is happening to male characters, isn't, hmm, look at that hunk of sexual man-meat. It's wish-fulfillment, because part of the typical nerdy male fantasy is to be a big old swole man with a badass sword and your abs out and a bunch of sexy naked women at your feet. When men are metal bikinied, it's happening to show off how badass this dude is without armor, and don't you want to be him? When women are, it's happening to show off their ass, and don't you want to be in her? So if you get all of my butt about referring to this being a trope that affects women, first of all, thank you for wanting to be up there, but secondly, get fucked. Because this is something that's much more impactful on women than it is men. Also, we have to ask why this trope even continues to exist in the first place. While we'll get into that more in the history for specific examples, the biggest reason it still exists is literally just marketing. So, the assumed audience for just about every nerd thing that's produced is straight, sexually hung up men that don't understand women. And this audience wants eye candy. So when a marketing team is told to appeal to them, they splash tits and ass all over the product to trick this group of men into consuming it. And this marketing choice became so deeply ingrained into the idea of classic fantasy like sword and sorcery or space epics, they've become ingrained tropes that are just part of the genre now. Another very likely reason this continues to exist is because men aren't particularly well known for writing women well. I gotta say, unfortunately, the stereotype is usually true. For whatever fucking reason, men in the West are still taught that the mind of a woman is an enigma wrapped into a crunchwrap supreme of lies and horseshit that they're completely inscrutable creatures. Now, men, if you're listening and nodding along in agreement, I gotta break something to you. Alright, come here and listen close. <clears throat> Women are people, too. But not realizing that you can literally just write a person has caused a ton of fucked up and weird women in writing over the years. But what does this have to do with metal bikinis? Well, if you don't understand something as a writer, you go with what you know. Which, for the stereotype of male writers, would be to be horny on main and write the female character they want to fuck. Which then makes it easy to over-sexualize that character via drumroll please, not adding that in in post, the metal bikini. But, 
Let's get the history before I act up and soapbox all over your face and chest. So, I really considered where I wanted to start here. Because the actual story of the trope is very important, but I think something that is equally important to discuss is the very real history of things similar to this trope happening in real life. And I went back and forth on what I wanted to cover first, and I've come to the conclusion that I want to make you more understanding of the creative side before I throw out some bullshit about people fighting naked to make a point that my OC wife who do not seal or I'll fry, with titties bigger than my head and an ass that would make your top three porn stars jealous, isn't that out there to be fighting in full bondage gear with enough covering the nipples and clit not to cancel on the shambling corpse of Twitter. So, our timeline for the actual trope begins in 1895 with the first pinups called the Gibson Girls. And this was created by Charles Gibson, who started to draw these curvy and well-endowed girls, not on the margins of notebooks, but in Life magazine. These were supposedly inspired by American women, who were around that time embracing an increasingly more liberated culture surrounding women's fashion, due in large part to the popularity of the bicycle, which allowed women to wear actual pants and therefore the curves that dresses were hiding up at that point transitioned from being sin-skinned, you showed your husband, and no one else, to something that was socially acceptable for strangers to witness. That's fucking wild, I know. But from there, advances that made the printing press easier, a lot of papers and magazine companies realized horny men would buy their magazines if they included images of hot women. Go figure, right? Because of that, these sexy illustrations helped to further the popularity of magazines, and 1903 even helped calendars become a household thing. I'm sure calendars were already becoming popular around that time, but because there were sexy calendar girls on them, even more calendars were sold. And now we jump forward to 1917, when the pinup girl was used for propaganda for the first time. The motherfucking United States government realized, oh shit, dudes will choose to look at our propaganda if we put tits on it, I'll take action if we make them think the woman on the poster will give them an over-the-pants handy for it. And this in combination with women in the early 20s as World War I ended, having much more power made things like being more openly sexual or wearing more revealing and comfortable clothing much more socially acceptable. But what does this bullshit have to do with metal bikinis, William? I hear you asking. Well, because in the 1930s, inspired by the pinup girl trend, we have the very first inception and fiction of this trope. In 1934, the world was introduced to one of the first comic book series that have a female lead character, this being Jirelle of Jory. First published in October 1934, and was created by a female creator, C.L. Moore. Now, Jirelle of Jory was described as a proud, tough, arrogant, and beautiful ruler of her own domain, living in medieval France. And why was she important? Well, because in order to draw in readers, who were largely male at the time, she was depicted in a pinup style on the covers. This drew male readers into buying a comic book they normally wouldn't because the lead was a woman. Also in 1934 is the first appearance of the popular example of the metal bikini trope, Red Sonia, in the story Shadow of the Vulture, where she makes an appearance as a supporting character. 
Now, while in the comic she was fully clothed and juries out on the state of her thong, my guess is probably still there. Durel of Jory continued until 1939, well into the establishment of using pinup girls on the covers of comics to get male audiences interested in reading your dumb fucking comic book. Or as someone who is less shitty would say, a comic with a female protagonist in the 30s. Over the next few decades, the metal bikini and pinup would recur in fantasy over and over in comics like Conan and similar, becoming a staple of advertising to young male readers. Now, keep in mind that this is often regardless of what actually happened inside the comic. Uh, funniest to me is a ton of examples in issues of Conan, where on the cover he's posing with a seductive pinup model, only for the truth inside the comic being him hardcore rejected by this very, very powerful, dominant female character, and then tucking his dick and balls between his legs and just waddling off. Now, this trend continued to three very important events for fantasy and sci-fi in the 1970s. Coming first was the introduction of Red Sonia in 1973, a character that before doing this research I wasn't very aware of. While earlier she was a side character, this time she was introduced as a full-ass main character, but fearing that the comic wouldn't be popular because of that female lead, the creators, Roy Thomas, Barry Smith, and the first to draw her, Boris Vallejo, leaned into the whole metal bikini thing by giving this sexy, proud, ferocious, and stubborn female lead a literal metal bikini. And while I want to be angry, I get it. Look, as a dude that loves proud, fierce, aggressive, and stubborn women, I understand in general, most men don't like that. I'd be a big, fat, filthy fucking liar if I didn't say that a muscly, angry redhead wearing a lingerie didn't activate every single submissive instinct in my horny little brain. Then is the introduction of Dungeons & Dragons in 1974. Now, unlike with other tropes or the popularity of fantasy in general, D&D is more of a footnote here. The creators of D&D were huge fucking nerds, and fans of 50s, 60s, and early 70s pulp comics and fantasy. So the art style of D&D was heavily influenced by it, including a lot of D&D art, including metal bikinis and boob armor. Finally, in the 1970s was the introduction of Dark Agnes, a character that could do unspeakable atrocities to my body and soul in a sexual way. Now, the reason she's important to bring up isn't because she wears a metal bikini, but because Red Sonia does. Now, Dark Agnes was originally pitched by her creator in the 1930s, but was rejected because she didn't show off her tits enough. Because she was a fiery, fierce, short-tempered redhead, and the publishers didn't think male readers would read a story with a female lead. Now, if your third eye is open and your gay brain is thinking in 13 dimensions, you can see the correlation between the two fiery, angry redhead characters both being published in the 1970s. And you'd be right. The reason why Dark Agnes was able to be published in 1975 was because of the success of Red Sonia, and not just as fat material. As audiences were lured in by the sex appeal, they became invested and actually grew to love the character. This allowed the publishers to reintroduce this forgotten character for a limited run. And you know, sadly for my sexual fantasies, Dark Agnes had only a total of five comics published under her name. Three in the 70s, and while there were initial plans in 2020 to have a full comic run for her, it was cancelled due to COVID only after the first two came out. 
thanks, COVID, you fuckhole. Look, killing grandma and infecting me twice was one thing, but now it's personal. And now, you know, I could go into every time between 1934 and 2020 when a female character was put into a metal bikini, but uh, this is a podcast and not a 24-hour live stream that started in 2011. Just think of a character in any comic book or manga you've ever read, or actually any show you've watched that's animated. You can probably find at least five comic panels or still shots of them getting the metal bikini treatment. Instead, let's set the groundwork for thinking about some of the more reasonable applications of this trope by looking at history. And to start off, no, there's not really a history of full-on metal bikinis in battle or wearing super sexy lingerie and high heels to go kill the enemies of America, aka the minority picked out of the hat this week, or to slaughter some definitely evil people for definitely not poorly explained reasons. Now, the earliest form of human warfare is where we come across the first reason for wearing little or no armor and wearing revealing clothing. Because this is my everyday loincloth and I really don't have the time to make some big fuck-off suit of armor because, you know, I live in a society with a job. Or, less obtusely, there isn't the chance or reason to make armor if the threat of war is so rare and sporadic that taking the time from your day would be a complete waste of resources. And there also isn't much of a point in having specific battle clothes if your enemy just kind of shows up at random, and there isn't much of a point in otherwise having multiple sets of clothes. This wasn't to say that none of us killing the fuck out of each other that no one wore armor, since there's signs of Stone Age shields, armor made from wood and bone, even some funeral offerings that sure do look a lot like armor. But generally speaking, what's the point when you don't fight much anyways? But moving on to some people that fought a shitload, the ancient Egyptians. In ancient Egypt, in addition to having immense cultural pride in the oil-pecked, sex-machine, peak male physique of the Egyptian man, it was as hot as the women I sent for and as dry as they are when I opened my dumb fucking mouth. What this means is that most soldiers in ancient Egypt didn't really wear armor. Now, a good amount of this is also because soldiers weren't exactly recruited from rich people. All of this combines in a suit of armor that's basically a stomach shield with a handheld shield and a set of rock-hard, cock-shattering pectorals. The people who go to battle armored were very important targets, meaning everyone would be taking shots at them if they could, so it's worth the expense and being hotter than hell if it meant surviving. Now, for the side of the spectrum of just being poor as fuck, we have the ancient Greek Pisoli. I'm going to try pronouncing that different. Pisoli? Seal? Seal? I'm going to say Pisoli. Just... <laughs> just just give me some grace, please. In ancient Greek warfare, the two classes of infantry were the heavy hoplites, who were generally pretty well-off members of society, and the very lightly armed and armored Pisoli, that were the poor people. Now, because their role in the battlefield was to zip around and throw and shoot shit at the vulnerable sides of the hoplites and other pistoli, while leaving actual melee combat to the hoplites, it wasn't really worth selling the farm to cover your balls. So, in the early days, the pistoli would frolic through the fields butt naked, and in later times eventually wore their normal clothes. This kept them lying on their feet and was really cheap in comparison to buying or making better armor for a fight that they were trying really fucking hard to avoid anyways. 
However, hoplites don't get out of this scot-free. As we've all seen in art and museums, it is very common for innate pieces of Greek armor to be sculpted in a muscular physique. Why? Well, to imply to their enemies that this armor wasn't forged. They pulled it hot from the forge and pressed it in their skin to mold it into shape, and they are strong enough to kick the ass of not only you, but your two buddies behind you, and then fuck the fourth one with your dick. The ancient Greeks, like the ancient Egyptians, also took a lot of pride in their bodies. And so this was also probably to encourage their buddies by having the literal chiseled abs of pure masculinity standing right next to you. And I gotta say, wearing it sounds like a fantastic confidence booster. Now, much later, but still old by our standards, is all the Roman nonsense. Now, while these sources are dubious, it is part of the zeitgeist at the time that Gallic warriors fought naked. The Gauls being basically ancient Germans. And while the accounts were spread by Romans, hence why it's lumped in with the Roman stuff, they are recorded by the big Greek assholes of the times. So there might be some legitimacy to their claims. Uh, more than likely, though, because there's a ton of evidence of Germanic armor from the period, is that not everyone fought naked and only select groups did. But who, exactly? Well, people who have fewer fucks than nuts. Crazy people that thought they could strip, shank a Roman in the kidneys wearing nothing but their pubes and your mom's pussy juice on their upper lip. People trying to prove how skilled and brave they were by returning home not only alive, but unharmed, while throwing themselves into a fight with fully armed legionaries, or you're trying to scare the shit out of your enemy. I mean, think about it, no matter how well armored you are, there's something viscerally terrifying about seeing a man wielding a sword, screaming like there's a raccoon up their ass, murder in their eyes, and their cock and balls not just fully out, but with nothing to hide them in. Now, I don't know about you, but at the very least pause, thinking a fucking werewolf is coming at me, or that this dude is about to solo me like a Dark Souls speedrunner. And the other Roman thing that I wanted to bring up were the gladiators. Gladiators, as performers, and often very expensive performers at that, weren't actually fought against each other nearly as commonly as you'd think. They'd mostly be fighting animals, slaves, or criminals, and sometimes an entertaining spectacle against other trained gladiators. And then being bare-chested with the symbol of the spectacle, being muscular power men slaughtering entire swarms of terrified criminals sentenced to death in the arena. Having a bare chest meant that a single slip or lucky blow could kill you, and it made the show feel more real and badass. And relating to today's topic, the female gladiators, or gladiatorix, were not exempt from this rule, which probably weren't shirtless for the same reasons. The next period I'm going to cover, pretty briefly though, is the medieval period. Now you might think that armor during the medieval era, like the clothing, is the most conservative it has ever been. No going to battle in your tidy whities with your cock sticking out the top, and no nipples blasting through your dress like an early 2000s what they did have was plate armor. Now, you may assume, and be wrong, that plate armor has almost no aesthetic piece to it. But actually, the design of plate armor, like it or not, is what peak male performance looks like. See, in the medieval period, the sexiest shape of a man was a triangle with an absolute hogger. So, wide shoulders, broad chest, tiny, tiny waist, which actually at the time was close to the belly button, and thick, fucking meaty thighs. And plate armor, at least in realistic depictions, for just about no goddamn reason at all, was broad-chested, wide-shouldered, 
with a tiny waist and thick hip. And sure, plate armor needs to be a bit bigger than skin tight to fit padding and doublets, but almost universally, the armor was meant to make you look manlier. Because, as I'm sure you've seen from the beginning of the timeline, masculinity is associated with being a powerful warrior, and also your homies would roast the fuck out of you if you did some cowardly shit, like cared more about your life than the honor of some dude you've barely even seen while wearing something meant to look like a badass beef bakery. So wearing the armor would not only feel powerful, but was meant for intimidation to make you look significantly bigger than your opponent. And some of the extreme examples even include a literal crotch rocket coming off the armor. Now, obviously, no one was putting their entire dick and balls into what basically amounts to the punishment to for naughty wieners, but this served to present the wearer as a very, very manly person because of his massive steel dong. Now we're going to make like Europeans in the 1500s and go bother the natives of other continents. In the Americas, armor was fairly rare to find for some of the similar reasons we listed above. In general, it wasn't really worth it to make armor because everyone was really, really spaced out. If you didn't get along with your neighbors, someone probably would have already caved your head in with your own fists by now. This is especially true in North America, and as a side note, is the answer to why North American civilizations didn't reach the level of Europe by the time they were knocking each other's spots. Basically, the landscape was so difficult to cross and the people so spread out that there wasn't really the same level of competition resulting in the kind of arms race in the Middle East with approximately one square mile land anyone gives a shit about in Europe, which is filthy with people. Now, this lack of competition meant that most wars were settling grudges, supply raids, or just a cultural practice, which means that creating armor wasn't a very effective use of time. Now, that being said, in North America, the most well-known users of armor were the Inulit and Klingits. Klingits wore these scary fucking helmets with human faces on them and massive wooden collars with what were essentially a coat of plates. And why? Because they're a raiding culture. So making armor and coming back alive was very important, since you needed to be alive to carry your loot home. And the Inuit created lamellar armor from animal products because it is super fucking cold up north and dangerous to be outside in Alaska, period. You know, on account of all the crazy, powerful wild animals out there. But for a lot of cultures in North America, they would often wear normal clothes to battle, which, if you'd live in a warm climate, could be nearly nothing. South America, though, we'd see this much, much less. Why? Well, because South America had full-on empires that waged large enough-scale wars often enough that creating armor suddenly became worth it. And even then, we still don't see the level of armor that was in Europe at around the same time period because of the lesser competition on the continent overall. Now, also notable are the Zulu under Shaka. Much like the ancient Greeks, Shaka took a lot of pride in toughness, endurance, and showing off your abs. But like the ancient Egyptians, it was also hot as a motherfucker in southern Africa. And the two married together, and Shaka pushes warriors extremely hard, finding any way to toughen them up and increase their endurance, including banning shoes and forcing them to travel up to 50 miles in a single day. And combined with a fast style of warfare and the heat, the Zulu just straight up didn't wear armor to show off, to build toughness, to display martial prowess, also stay fast and light when going for distance. Alright, and finally we're going to talk about the modern age. While I could go over every time we've seen a dude charge an enemy fire completely naked, 
there are two examples I want to bring up. And if you can think of examples and are pissing your britches in anger, you can start your own podcast. But don't. At least don't start a ripoff of mine just to whine about how shitty mine is and how I didn't tell your favorite story about a dude fighting with his cock flopping around. So first is the practice of Viet Cong sappers during the Vietnam War of doing their duties naked or almost entirely naked. Why? Because the job of a sapper is the same as a combat engineer. They built and cleared fortifications, landmines, demolitions, and took care of repairs. Now, the reason is because in addition to these, Viet Cong sappers would often also be responsible for creating booby traps, and much to the surprise of very few, the Vietnamese weren't the only ones making traps during the war. And you know what really fucking sucks? Crawling through the mud and a tripwire getting caught in your pocket, and before you know it, you're watching your legs and ass briskly jog into the jungle while your torso says hello to the barbed wire fence in front of you. Especially if you're the one that literally just placed it. And how do you prevent this? Well, strip, boyo. And besides, if you're good at your job, you won't need armor anyways, because it'll do fuck all. It's also a lot easier to crawl through the mud when there aren't 30-ish layers of blood, shit, mud, and whatever else might be on the ground caking your uniform. But human skin, for the most part, slicks rather than absorbs. So, while sure, you're going to get dirty, your clothes won't get mud sloth and heavy. And the other, I'm going to butcher this last name, the other is Joshua Milton... I'm going to butcher this last name. Uh, the other is Joshua Milton Blighty, a now evangelical preacher that was once a librarian warlord known as General Butt Naked. Now, why did he go to battle naked? Because he was knucking fucks. He heard the voice of Satan telling him that he'd be immune to bullets if he stripped naked and wore charms. Oh, and also if you fucking ate people. So, you know, crazy. But the thing is, he also knew that going to battle naked was fucking bonkers. So did literally everyone else on the battlefield. So he and his soldiers would go to the battlefield butt naked to scare people. Which, as we've learned, I'm sure you can understand, it's terrifying to fight a bunch of Satan-whisper-hearing, high-as-balls, naked cannibal human rights violators. Sounds to me like if the battle starts going sour, it's time to run the fuck away. So, why I cover all of this? Well, to introduce you to some of the reasons that people throughout history have worn something to show off their genitals or abs or unrealistic body expectations on the battlefield. For practicality, it was usually for ease of movement and supply logistics and to prevent overheating and reduce the cost of your fighting force. On the psychological end, it was meant to inspire courage in yourself and your allies. Intimidate the enemy with your manly fucking body and massive floppy dingling, to inspire your warriors with your juicy ass cheeks, or to come off as just absolutely crazy. And aesthetically, it shows off the parts that your culture is proud of, or finds sexy, or just plain looks cool. But now we're going to go back to the modern day and talk about the current state of the trope. See you soon. <laughs> So, what's the current zeitgeist around boob armor and metal bikinis? Well, if you're tuned in, let's say contentious, to say the least, I mean, largely this trope is kind of relegated to a few specific genres as a genre trope. Namely, Pulp Fiction, 
space operas, sword and sorcery fantasy, and hentai. But its effect is much wider than this, with many fiction genres being heavily influenced by it, including something resembling, if not outright being this trope. And why is that? Well, for one, the marketing angle works, because as much as it offends me, us nerd dudes are horny freaks whose penis can now think our skull schmeat more often than not. And secondly, because three of those four genres I just described are literally the entire basis for modern fiction genres. I'm besides Tolkien, of course, and arguably, hentai has played a major role in modern fiction. But my own hang-ups about being an adult that watches cartoons have sex aside, if you take a few moments to think about a genre, you've probably seen boob armor in it. Superhero comic? If you haven't, you're dumber than a sack of pebbles with a worm at the bottom. High fantasy? Grimdark? Ever seen a dark elf in anything? How about a good half of sci-fi shows and games? Do you understand how many times I've been watching a sci-fi show and gotten a full frontal surprise camel toe? If you're someone that sees it as marketing, as grading, or just plain lazy writing because a male writer can't pull his cock off his female characters for two and a half seconds, it gets really frustrating and distracting. Which is where the fight is at right now to the communities that care about it. And before we get into the actual arguments, I also realized something really, really wild while looking through them. Now, while obviously the bad parts of this trope is mostly about being horny, I think something else that makes it an issue is something that the argument over it does a very good job of highlighting. How we think of characters. Because when someone makes a character, even if it's for a split second, your brain assumes the person is real. While your suspension of disbelief is intact, you think of them as an actual person. And the problem here is that the side that is all for this trope are either still in the suspension of disbelief or are choosing to ignore the hand of the author when they argue that people should wear whatever they want. While the side that is angry that this trope exists sees the hand of the very much male author groping his little avatar woman while stroking his dick in the other hand. And I wasn't expecting this trope to dig into the existential question of what makes a character a character. If they're given a personality that the author likes, does that make their perceived personhood lesser than other character personalities? Or does that matter? Anyways, it's a brain teaser for you to think about later. So, first we're going to talk about the side against boob armor. Who's on this side? Well, as you might imagine, feminists. But also people like me that think it's lazy or just kind of offended that you're assuming just because my wiener gets happy around women that I'd fall for it. I mean, you're right, but also go fuck yourself. A number of creators are also against this trope, not only for being lazy, but for feeling the pressure to make sexual female characters or to put them in sexual positions. And, of course, the pedantic motherfuckers that I love that have complaints about the practicality and believability. Now, specifically, the arguments go as follows. Firstly, that since the trope is mostly, if not entirely, affecting women and puts sexy above practical or comfortable, it's pretty fucking sexist since it turns this woman from a woman and a character into an object to ogle at and slap your limp dick around to. Also, by the way, creators, we don't need you to put your character in a metal bikini for that. Someone will always find a way to use some kind of sex toy while imagining your character. Now, to the uninitiated, uh, this is likely the only argument you've heard. And it's pretty convincing, especially because it's essentially just feminist ideology placed onto a fictional character. Now, on the other hand, as with a lot of the reasons for the hatred of porn, I mean in general, not the actual porno-industrial complex, 
it does make an immediate assumption that the woman involved is being exploited in some way. And while in the case of the author being male, I fully understand this take, but also being horny and being respectful aren't mutually exclusive. Does Red Sonia do things to my genitals and whatever part of my brain turns my bones to gelatin and my muscles to water whenever a woman so much it looks at me with anything resembling an emotion? Yes, absolutely. Is she a badass warrior that has accomplished more than about half of all the men living in the United States combined that has caused me to genuinely want to read her comics? Absolutely. While I think this point is almost entirely right, it does ignore very fundamentally how hypocritical our brains are, even if horny and respect are on opposite sides of the emotion wheel, which, in my opinion, they aren't. Now, a good character getting metal bikini will get the fanboys angrier than the feminists, and a character that has always been in metal bikini will probably get more romance fantasies than sex fantasies about them. The next argument I want to bring up is related, but lesser than the first one. Now, I'm the only one I've ever seen in person that is A, attracted to women, and B, insulted by metal bikinis. But, I did actually find a decent population of people who were similarly insulted online. While a lot of them couldn't exactly put a finger on why they're insulted, because my mind is a prison of my own thoughts, I have nothing to do but contemplate the floor and stare out the bars that is my skull and eye holes, I do know why. Put simply, I have authority problems. I, unless proven that they do care about me specifically, or have actual skills and knowledge to demonstrate to know what they're talking about, I hate any person that has more social power than I do on instinct, across the board. Now, what is a marketing team? People of power and money and knowledge that I don't, that overrides the creative aspect of a story to make it marketable. And look, I logically understand the profession is important, necessary, and also that marketing teams aren't just complete shitheads. But, all that sounds like scum sucker behavior to me on an emotional level. So, when they decide that sex will sell this character a comic book, I'm insulted because a group of dudes dressed business casual not only predicted that I like vagina, but then put in a comic book to make me buy their shit. Now, I'm sure other people have more logical reasons, like being a supportive and outspoken feminist ally. I mean, come on, man. If you have to say that, you're just trying to get brownie points or in some hot, hot fucking water. Uh, by the way, I am a feminist ally. That gets me brownie points. Never said I wasn't the hypocrite. Also, I am actually a feminist ally. That wasn't just a joke. It was both. Um, also, female characters that are used for this trope tend to be harder to not objectify. And no, this isn't some weird psychology trick your doctor doesn't want you to know in fear you'll ascend to godhood beyond the constraints of allotrophic medicine and then also have sex with his wife. Uh, it's because when you make a sexy character wearing something sexy, if you're sexually attracted to them, it's going to be a real temptation to put them in sexual situations. Whew, that was a little bit of a tongue twister. And as you fellow artists out there know, our ability to ignore temptation is about as weak as our will to live. So this becomes less a risk of, ah, oh, shit, I accidentally drew my big titty massive badaka-daka barbarian in a leather bikini in the jacko pose again. And more a risk of, what if I drew them looking this sword that is suspiciously curved like my dick? And the more these thoughts infest your dirty, naughty artist brain, you're more likely to sacrifice good characterization and believable situations for them being put into situations that just so happen to match exactly the thing that you're into. Which also leads to the next point. 
So rarely is this trope used by a more responsible or a feminine hand that the good ways this trope can be used usually aren't. For male-centric stories and stories meant to appeal to them, the metal bikini is an ogle tool, while like the big beefy barbarian without a shirt or pants is a power fantasy. And in a lot of ways, the metal bikini and boob armor is a sexual male fantasy being put to page. And very rarely are these stories truly about a woman taking back her sexuality or finding comfort in her skin again, which is something that happens in real life. But these narratives are both really hard for male authors to write and be taken seriously about and are so overshadowed by hee-hee-boobs use of this trope that women have a hard time using this too without the entire point being ignored by the entire audience who's just happy to see a woman wearing less clothing because they're dirty, nasty perverts. And finally, and I think probably the most briefly, is that outside of sword and sorcery and other genres where it's a genre trope, this really just instantly breaks immersion. And I'm going to throw one of my favorite fantasy settings under the bus here. Warhammer Fantasy is normally pretty good, and when they lean into tropes, it's in the over-the-top fun way that makes the setting such a good black comedy grimdark. Greenskins and Bretonia as a faction, the fart jokes and toilet humor throughout, the immense level to which dwarves hate everybody, the ogres being absolute Sigma male lardasses, and even the funny vampire pirates, and the casualty reports rivaling the First World War over a village in Althorf with a population smaller than the average apartment complex. But the one place they fail is the witch elves. Clonash demons being topless? I mean, it makes sense. They're demons of hedonism. They don't need armor because they can, in-universe, give realism the middle finger. But witch elves go to battle in literal metal bikinis, and most of them fucking live. Like, I understand the whole concept of the Brides of Cain and stuff, but every time I see them, my immersion is kind of broken. I'm just like, oh, BDSM elves? Really? Which says something for how disruptive this trope can be in a world where the Skaven are canonically anarcho-capitalist of the CEO Sigma Grindset and has an entire race living in magical forests that want to eat them because their heads are too far up their asses to realize that maybe Grandpa didn't understand what he was getting himself into. And so, next, here's some listicle reasons this group uses not to have this trope in your story. One, it offers literally 0% protection, or is at least a protection debuff. Now, for bikini armor, unless someone is only attacking your nipples or crotch, you are completely unprotected. And also, the people only attacking your nipples and crotch should probably be old yellered in the backyard anyways. Uh, but with boob armor more broadly, having boobs on your armor might not seem like a big deal, but... With how normal breastplate armor works, when an attack would hit somewhere on the chest, the armor's curve guides the force of the strike to the outside and away from, you know, the fucking heart and lungs and all the good living organs. But when you have two separate booby cups, you have two raised and curved bumps on your armor with a relatively flat spot in the middle directly over your fucking heart. So what happens more often is that blows in their force, nice, is transferred into your fucking sternum and rattles your bone like a dancing Halloween skeleton. This, of course, also transfers some of the energy into your heart, and if your opponent swings with bone-breaking force, like a big strong boar, or using a hammer, it'll break your sternum and maybe blast your heart like Taco Bell blasts the buttholes of beings weaker than me. Two, it doesn't protect at all from the elements, and can even make it worse. 
Now, bikini armor, because you are wearing nothing, will not protect you from the cold, rain, wind, thorn bushes, sharp rocks, walking upstairs in front of your very, very horny allies, or really any other hazards you could encounter by wearing even something as minimal as a Weinstein robe. And that shouldn't be a surprise. But if your metal bikini had no padding on the other side, it's even worse in the cold because metal leaches heat, and it's a very effective energy transfer which means your nipples are going to freeze off. And your clitoris. I mean, if the cold can even find it, that is. Now, for boob armor, you might think that elemental protection is covered, right? Well, you would be if you only ever looked above a woman's knee in fantasy artwork. But degenerates like me that look at the feet might notice the worst fucking boots of all time. You know what is uncomfortably common in female armor? Stiletto heels. You know it sinks into everything that isn't concrete, solid rock, or sheet metal? Stiletto heels. Imagine being in combat wearing these things, and the inevitable happens, and you sink four inches into the mud on your heel. You know who won't give you time to yank it out? The dude with a sword trying to take your head off. Third, if you choose to ignore the first two by hand-waving it away with super-duper magic or technology, you still aren't safe. Because the third reason is because having metal bikinis as common armor or something that happens a lot implies a pretty heavy cost. Think about it like this. So you excuse that your waifu wears a bikini in battle because the bikini's enchanted protector even better than suited play armor, and that doesn't even matter. But unless you're writing a setting where magic is more easily available and common than metal, the person doing this needs to find someone with a very particular skill set to make a bikini out of iron who is someone that should be on a watch list, by the way, and then another person to then cover the armor in magical runes, which in most fantasy settings is fairly rare. Usually, as to not break the setting, I personally make magic users about one in a thousand or more rare than me convincing someone to peg me. I've only asked three, by the way, so only 997 more to go before I get a yes. Uh, and in sci-fi, as another example, say you want your character in a bikini, so you give them a force field. Well, now you have something that probably costs more than, you know, any kind of armor whatsoever. If your setting economy is fucked, sure, maybe you can get away with it, but now you're bending your setting over and calling it a bad boy so that your audience can see boobs and ass that you could have just drawn it anyways as an X-rated version of your story. And in both cases with other boob armor, it's so much more complex to make armor that looks like a human body than just to make fucking armor. Fourth, if you're writing a setting where the sexual assault is a thing that happens sometimes, you're giving your audience a lot of anxiety. And sure, like in Goblin Slayer or similar shows, that's the point. But if your show's no actual sexual assault, but a few characters bring it up, and your female lead is wearing something that covers as much of her boobs as required by whatever censorship board you listen to, your audience will understandably get very nervous and may even become too overwhelmed by the prospect during prisoner arcs, or even just fighting an opponent, they very well might turn it off and swear off your writing. And if you're trying to make your audience worried about it, I'm going to have to have a little heart-to-heart -heart with you right now. Listen, bud. I know it's rough. Especially at your age. You know, try and make your own stories, and make them interesting, and include all the cool stuff you want to, but this isn't the way to do it, man. I... I know for your hormone-addled 13-year-old brain, threatening sexual assault on a fictional character might not seem like a big deal, but it's actually a really shitty thing to do. And look, I don't want 
you to stop writing stories, and eventually you'll grow out of it, but until then, just fucking don't. Alright, and now fifth, with all the other considerations, doing boob armor and metal bikinis don't actually give you any benefit big enough to be used. Like, sure, we've covered some of the reasons in the history section, and those will be revisited later, but narratively, it serves no purpose besides showing off how hot your character is. Which, granted, does have your merits, don't get me wrong, but you're having to do so much extra stuff to prove it when there are easier ways. Give them a sexy voice, or walk, or, I don't know, make their face look like a real sexy person instead of the same face every time? Or maybe they act how a hot person would act, like with confidence and have a swagger to them. I don't know how hot people act. I don't know any. I'm kidding. You really don't have to make your characters bust like the main eye catcher to make them super hot. Now, on the other side is the pro-boob armor argument. And before we get into their demographics, I want to forewarn you before you fact-check me on this, there's a ton of cringe in these parts. The amount of times I considered smashing my balls with a rock out of pure shame of being the same gender as some of these guys was immense. And I had to call my friends to talk me out of it. Just, just kidding. That was a joke. Don't send mental health professionals to my house. Okay, so the demographics are some of the people you would expect. First are old blood nerds that cut their teeth on OD&D and AD&D, and those who know what that means. Uh, horny teenagers and incels. Uh, neckbeers that want to collect figurines to put in mason jars. And people with, like, two brain cells to think that women should wear clothes like that all the time. You know, the barefoot and pregnant Neanderthals. And, of course, a number of sword and sorcery creators that want to adhere to the genre tropes that made them fall for the genre in the first place. But, surprisingly, on this side, there's some feminists as well. And why is that? Well, because there is some feminist power that can be gained from this. Think about it. In a society that tells women to cover up and be modest and peaceful and just smile gently at their patriarchal masters, the metal bikini and boob armor can stand in opposition. By not only displaying your femininity by having your titties out while swinging around a massive sword and fire rage of battle, and cutting entire armies of men that would try to kill you or otherwise enslave you, you're giving the patriarchy a titanic middle finger. Badass female characters can be an inspiration for women in the real world, and can serve as a way for men to see women for more than just sex objects. Saying that a character can't wear a metal bikini because it's objectifying in this argument is equating to telling a woman to cover her shoulders and ankles because the men folk can't control their boners if, God forbid, they saw some skin that isn't your face and hands. Now, personally, I think that part's more eh, because usually the writer's a male, so the argument that it's exactly like real-world feminism is really diminishing and insulting to the struggles of real women. Now, the next argument is a matter of inspiration. A character dressed like this can be inspired by fictional women like the Amazons that fought how the ancient Greeks fought, you know, Pooh Bear in it, in art at least. Or they can be inspired by gladiatrixes who fought shirtless, or hell, the dozens of female pirate captains in history that beat the ever-loving shit out of someone and then flashed them to say, a woman just jostled your jimmies, bitch. There's also the argument that the inspiration for the armor can very well come from male armor often being designed to accentuate the male body. If, for example, you have a culture that prides femininity and that produces uh, women warriors, 
no shit, their armor is going to be covered in boobs, and their helmet will probably have whatever hairstyle women wear in their society as a crest. Or if your character has a lot of pride in her body, like some of the warriors in history, she might fight in a bikini just because she's damn proud of those abs and those tiggles and butt and wants to show them off. The last argument that I really think is a decent one that doesn't go down the pit of depravity uh, is design choice and aesthetic. What this comes down to is that creating the look of a new character is hard, especially as time goes on, to not accidentally rip off or copycat characters in other settings or make your characters confusing to keep track of because they look similar. Now, because most character designs don't have a ton of fan service or ogle material to them, the available character designs start to diminish much faster than fan service character designs, meaning that it becomes a design problem, especially when you're composing a piece or making a game or something else visually based where all of these standard troopers wear the same clothes, because your audience has a harder time distinguishing characters in a crowd. And, I mean, what stands out more... I mean, what stands out more than a woman with her crotch out? Now, I fully admit this doesn't super work for characters like Red Sonia that were created in the 70s. We have a character in 2022 that's a cute anime girl with a big fucking sword. Well, your options to make a well-designed character that's practical, distinct, and badass is difficult because there's been like 500,000 of this is my OC wife who do not steals that could be boiled down to the same thing unless you find a new unique way to turn it into a metal bikini or boob armor. Nor does it necessarily work when you're dealing with other body shapes. Nor does it necessarily work when you're dealing with other body shapes besides the fit lean hero, which is probably a better way to make your characters more distinct. But in most character design, you'll have to find a balance between practical, badass, and distinct, and one of those three has to die. And for the metal bikini, it's practicality that dies. And then the only absolute horseshit argument that I'm including with no redeeming qualities is don't like it, don't participate. First of all, do you know who the fuck I am? I'm far too invested in everything I find the energy to know more than a passing understanding about. Second, don't be a dickhead. It goes so much deeper than just someone being a prude. There's legit things wrong with this trope and it certainly hasn't helped the nerd community be more accepting and welcoming of women. To dismiss it out of hand by saying, hey, just don't buy comic books with eye candy, or hey, just don't look, doesn't really address the complaint or make people feel better about the trope. It's just a dose of shut the fuck up, the boys are talking, instead of taking someone seriously. People who see this trope as an issue don't see it as an issue because they think they're personally being attacked, I mean, besides me, but instead see it as perpetuating shitty things about women. Okay, now it's time for their listicle. So, one... It's sexy as hell. Now, this one is pretty self-evident, seeing as it's literally what the trope is for. I Basically, this point is telling you, like, hey, one easy way to make your character sexy? Put them in lingerie. Now, also their point, what I've wrapped up into this one, is also that shows off the character's muscles very well, as well as other kind of beauty things we don't normally get to see. It can also be used to demonstrate how goddamn skilled they are by showing them without scars or injuries ever. Also, this point is meant to rope in cosplayers that care about cosplaying sexy characters. On top of just liking how it looks, what's a hotter outfit to help you pick up the 1 in 100 fit sexy nerds? It might not be plate armor, but it certainly is a cosplay wearing chainmail links over your nipples and loincloth, especially if you have abs and put a lot of work into your body. 
Now, two is less maintenance. Now, this is really only applicable to genres that care. So, not stuff like high fantasy necessarily or superhero stuff. But in adventure sagas, survival stories, and perhaps even the rare grimdark, where things are usually held together by string and whole gallons of spit, having a metal bikini on is almost guaranteed to be much less maintenance than other armors. And this can be said without the whole combat lingerie thing too. But also probably a good reason why it's easier to maintain is because it doesn't actually protect you in any way, shape, or form. Now, there is also an artistic angle to this one as well. I mean, it's certainly a lot easier to draw and keep continuity than a complex costume. I mean, think about it. The defining features of the armor are literally the same defining features you draw for a naked figure. I mean, it sounds pretty easy to translate over. Third, you're basically naked, so you are fast as fuck, boy. I feel old saying that. Uh, this doesn't apply to all boob armors, but certainly any of the ones that replace metal with fabric or empty space where it doesn't belong. Like, yeah, you're pretty fast, but also, did you know that arrows are faster? So is a swift kick to the cooter if you're looking at your opponent's hands. You know who didn't get incapacitated entirely by a steel boot to the lady peen? The lady over there wearing actual armor. She also doesn't have an arrow in her lung or a bunch of dudes constantly trying to position themselves behind her when they're climbing stairs. Now, I think sometimes this is a valid argument, but also I'm just too fast and I'll dodge everything, is a lame way to win a playground argument, not something applicable to your story. Can some characters move much, much, much faster than their opponents in media? Yes. Have you ever watched an action movie or an anime literally ever? Like, can you move faster than a bullet, an arrow, or perhaps a wagon covered in spikes hurtling down a one-way alley towards you? No? I didn't fucking think so. Four, it's a distraction. Now, I'm going to use an example for this. So my best friend is an absolutely gorgeous redhead goth. And under almost any possible conceivable situation, her having her boobs out would absolutely be a distraction. If we were in a fight, it would be a distraction. If she was threatening my life, it would be a distraction. But no matter how much my nasty fucking brain has developed to be massively attracted to stubborn goth redheads that want to physically harm me, I wouldn't be distracted if she had a knife and was literally trying to kill me. Would I have a boner? Debatably, but that's because I'm more fucked in the head than a CPR dummy. My point is that at a certain point, the drive to survive outweighs the drive to have sex. So someone trying to kill you, no matter how much you might normally be distracted by their hotness, will always put your brain in the exact same mental state of fight or flight. However, this trope does get some grace, because before a fight completely starts, yes, very distracting, both in a sexy way and also in the what-the-fuck-are-you-doing way, and both can throw someone completely off their game and make them an easier target. But, you know, not as easy of a target as someone that's naked. And five, eh, I mean, it's pretty compact, right? I am much in the same way that if you were to fill the parts of your luggage that would normally fill with clothes with dental floss, you carry miles of it. If you put your bikini in the same place you'd normally put actual armor, then you save quite a bit of carrying capacity for other things like bandages you'll need the first time you trip and hit a rock or get into a knife fight with a homeless man over some cheese. And on the artist side, it does remove the question of how do I get my character combat ready for this supposedly surprise attack by making the process of getting armored up literally having tearaway clothes.
And the benefit of having armor that's so compact only covers targets pervert can say to aim for is you can wear that shit under anything and you never need to worry about cumbersome armor bags or gearboxes like the shitbird over there wearing plate mail. Now, at the end of this, if you're asking yourself which side I agree with, I don't know you've been listening. Obviously, I don't really like boob armor. I'd much rather have a character survive than be sexy. But on the other hand, I understand the appeal and I'm not going to pretend to have the moral high ground. At least, not yet. Now, let's talk about why this matters. So, if you've been paying attention, and I hope you have, because there's absolutely going to be a test at the end of this episode, the stroke matters for a few reasons. Largest being the portrayal of women in fiction. Irresponsible use of this trope to produce nothing but eye candy reduces the power and respect women have in fiction by making the base assumption that woman equals sex. Which, if you break that trope, gets the sweaty basement dwellers angry and turns them off from your story. If you don't think that the portrayal of women in fiction is important, remember the first episode. Fiction is important to educate and influence how people think of the real world. By making a largely male audience associate women and sex, you hurt real-world people. These greasy fucking nerds at surprising speeds forget how to talk to women and can only think about fucking them while women who would normally be nerds are suddenly surrounded on all sides by men with the minds of teenage boys that can only think of fantastic pussy where to find it. So it matters in this case because having nothing but bikini-clad sex symbols makes you and your audience worse at being human beings and less likely to actually make the kind of sexual connections you're also randomly talking about. Related to that is the effect it has on women in the community. Now, nerd boys, let me blow your fucking mind. Women are nerds too. And hold on, hold on. Before you start shouting like a bunch of fucking chimpanzees introduced to the wonders of internet porn and crystal meth, I mean real nerds. I mean, so nerdy that puts your nerd knowledge to shame. It puts your nerd resume to shame. What happens when you horny little freaks act weird and creepy and all the female characters in the media they love are portrayed as nothing but sex objects? No, they don't turn into sex objects, you idiot. They fucking leave. They leave and find someone who won't be weird about them being hot and makes them a nerd by proxy. Now, ignoring the empty brain, instinctive, I deserve a nerdy girl because no one liked me in high school aspect of that, the core tenant is true. People are turned off from participating in a community where they feel not only unwelcome, but objectified and expected to do things they're uncomfortable with. Which, in a lot of communities, is women, and the nerd community is no different despite our insistence that we aren't like other guys. And so, it matters to use metal bikinis responsibly, because otherwise, you'll literally chase all the women that normally be kinky little nerds like the rest of us, either into a box hiding with all the cosplayers and D&D streamers or out of the community. Which is, you know, just a straight-up dick move to everyone. And related to that is that it harms artists and creativity. Using this trope poorly or overusing it can turn a wide canvas of 10,000 possible stories into a very monotone painting of a lonely man in his mid-40s jerking it to Red Sonia in a basement. If you do nothing but this trope, you aren't exploring your artistic abilities, and also a lot of people that are feminists or support feminism won't want to work with you, especially if they're good artists. And while sure, 
Some of you might be rejoicing from your mobility scooters and 98% white male red hat rallies wondering where the hot babes are. The thing is that normal people get bored with the same Conan comic published every week with a different woman. I personally think that the nerd community ought to be more accepting and more and more willing to grow and letting people in on the things we love. The other thing is that if you never branch out or allow in artists who will, then if something happens, that would normally be a great opportunity to add new elements to create a more exciting story. You or the artists you love won't go for it. Why? Because they don't think they can do it. Or even worse, they do it and it sucks. I mean, for example, when I started seriously writing at like 12 or 13, most of what I made was derivative knockoffs of stuff that I liked mixed with early teenage boy horniness. If I never adapted, not only would I not be writing this right now, I wouldn't be making a grimdark weeb setting making fun of not only the real world, but also the concept of anime genre tropes. If 13-year-old me was asked to do that, he'd shit and cry, then probably go jerk off and then go back to writing fantasy stuff based on Warhammer fantasy miniatures and all the perverted things he wanted women to do to him. So it's important to think before you draw another fill-in-the-blank waifu character because you one day might want to actually read, look at, or make something that doesn't make your pants tight. Of course, is good old-fashioned believability, turning its geriatric head in time to get blasted in the face by the fist of a trope that couldn't be fucked to care. While, as we've discussed earlier, some people can see past this trope, especially when it's a genre trope, there's groups of the community that can't ignore it. When the creator takes time from their story to tell us how ogleable this female character is, the nerds in the audience that are women, gay, asexual, intensely feminists, or otherwise trying not to be rattled by titties right now, thank you very much, are instantly shunted out of their suspension of disbelief. They're looking directly through the pages and watching you be a fucking sex goblin with all the other goofy-ass straight male sex goblins that have no problem alienating them to obsess over a woman's body. And that's assuming that your straight male audience goes along with it. If they're pedantic and really value realism, there's a good chance they'll join the queers, I can say that I'm queer, and women on the outside watching you and your audience do the slobberious hokey-pokey around a picture of a mostly naked fake woman. Which really limits your audience, and the audience that's left are really only happy when you press the horny button over and over again like VTubers when they're streamed lols. Now, all these things are when it's used irresponsibly. What about when we use the trope well? To put it simply, Red Sonia and some of her better issues in adaptation. And, you know, let's mirror the other points because it just makes my brain happy. So when used responsibly, this trope can be used to introduce more and more female characters into fiction with a wide variety of personalities, body shapes, and roles in the story. And why? Because a lot of sweaty, nerdy men think of women and sex as being interconnected, you can trick them into being less dumb. How? Well, you read Sonya them. You keep them distracted by shaking the equivalent of a shiny set of keys in front of them while showing them a genuine character with depth and interesting things to say and doing badass things. And eventually, as they become attached to the person rather than just the boobs, you can show them less and less sexualized characters because now they want to know more about the person and they're comfortable seeing women in comics. Meaning it's important to use this trope wisely because you can stop people from becoming incels. Also, you can give women in the nerd community something to look up to. Well, sure, for a lot of characters it's done solely for sex appeal. It isn't for others. 
While yes, Spider-Woman is canonically known for having the fattest ass in Marvel Comics because the people drawing her have clearly consistently been ass men, and Rogue is... Well, she's treated like Rogue. Other characters like Mystique and Elektra that fall under this trope pretty often are also portrayed as badasses that just so happen to be hot. And on the DC side, sure, Wonder Woman and Big Barda wear the literal definition of boob armor, and both Harley Quinn and Black Canary wear fishnets and or booty shorts as a component of their costumes, all four are still treated as full characters with goals and lives. Have all these characters been metal bikinied? Yes, absolutely. For the interesting characters with substance have also been used to represent both feminist ideals and also something that female comic readers recognize as being badass? Absolutely yes again. And that means that when you do this trope right or in a way that isn't gross, these characters aren't diminished as female role models. And bonus points to you sick, nasty little perverts. Nerd women know they're hot, and if both the community and the source material a community is being built around is inviting, they're more likely to stay, more likely to talk to you, also more likely to cosplay. So, you know, put that in your crack pipe and smoke it, you fucking degenerates. Now, for its use as a creative outlet, using this trope well means as explained and expounded upon, which creates implications for your world and also for your characters, meaning that you now have low-hanging fruit to write about. Think about it like this. If you write a character that wears a chainmail bikini for no fucking reason and it's never addressed, that's boring. You've shut down an angle because you decide your audience wanted something easy to wank to was more important than trying to do something cool. But if you write a character that wears one because their culture produces warrior women and the entire region they come from are absolutely terrified of them, now have a lot more to write about. Is this character shocked that people don't shrink away from her? How does she compensate for the lack of protection? Why did her culture go down the chainmail bikini path? By answering these questions are good world building and characterization also helps your audience get more comfortable with what you're doing. Because you're doing this world building and characterization, there's a lot more situations you can put that character in. Did her culture go down the chainmail bikini path because they're a proud warrior culture that wants to show off how few wounds they have? Then have a story where this character is inconsolable about a minor cut that scars on their stomach or arm, something that in their culture is shameful. Stuff that in your pipe too. And while you might be skeptical about it adding to believability, remember that believable doesn't mean real. It means internally consistent. So if you explain the chainsaw bikini well enough and your audience understands why it's there and they don't call bullshit, then you're good to go. And in some genres, again, like sword and sorcery, such a core part of that kind of story that's kind of weird when it isn't there at all. So in that case, go fucking loony. Put everyone in metal bikinis. Put your male characters in a bikini hammock with nipple tassels for all I care. Give dinosaurs tits just to put them in a chainmail bikini. I mean, really, all this comes down to is that the ways this trope adds to any kind of believability is when writing is good. Which is to say, well-practiced and not lazy. Speaking of which, let's go to the applications. sure by this point you're thoroughly confused. First I shame this trope, then defend it, then call it the worst thing on earth, and now I'm telling you how to use it. 
And I understand that, but what I'm doing is basically drug education. See, I know you little freaks are going to do this at some point, so I want to make sure you're doing it safely in a safe environment and not in a basement shooting up the freshest, barely covered titty armor like a heroin addict. And the best way to use this trope responsibly is to lean into the reasons why someone would go into the battlefield unarmored or naked. Is the history lesson from earlier making sense now? Now, obviously, for most settings, there won't be much of a place for the making armor as a waste of time thing. However, there are 100% settings where this makes sense. And in those places, you can get away with the metal bikini side of this more easily. By building into your world that large-scale or lethal conflicts don't happen very often, you circumvent the problem entirely. Sure, armor really does help when it's one-on-one -on -one or one-on-two, but for the most part, armor is most effective when you can't possibly see or react to everything coming at you. Which is why I wear a full suit of play armor to orgies. Other settings this makes sense would be settings set in post-apocalyptic wastelands that are filled with wizard towers and dinosaurs for some fucking reason. There isn't enough of a society built up to really make building armor possible, or at least not possible for your characters. Now this category of application for your boob armor does well to explain it, but doesn't really address why your badass woman warrior with a laser pistol and a serious problem with warlocks wearing latex has her boobies out and is wearing high heels. Like, sure, you could use this excuse, but then the question turns into, why is she wearing a bikini in a radioactive wasteland? Which is where the next part of world building can come in. By having your metal bikini characters come from a place that is hot as shit, it makes more sense for them to wear a lot less. Especially if their culture doesn't have puritanical ideals around nudity like medieval Europe did. And to an extent, this can carry over to all boob armor. Maybe this character wears a breastplate and a very flowing, conveniently cooch-covering linen cloth because she comes from a place that has 150 degrees in the shade, and literally the only way to survive there is by being just about completely naked, especially by armor. Now, for high heels, I urge you to not try to explain that away, since that's the metal bikini trope equivalent of fucking fentanyl. If you really wanted to, you could say the character comes from somewhere with, like, stony ground, I guess? course the weakness of using their environment as an excuse is that they then have to stay in that environment which can make sense for a narrative where you're uptight crusader walking around 80 pounds of armor because god can't even risk looking at your ball sack is being guided by a local woman wearing clothing just opaque enough not to see nipple with armor that looks like something your girlfriend would have to be talked into wearing while you fuck her but it doesn't make sense when the same dynamic moves in the frozen tundra where wearing anything less than eight layers of clothing will turn you into a very slutty, I can say that, I'm a slut, popsicle. Which leads me to the cultural aspects of this trope, which get more into the character but is still world building. If it's a culture that teaches women to be proud of their bodies and accentuate feminine traits, it makes sense that their armor would reflect that. But you still need to be careful with this, because as we talked about earlier with armor design, it's very easy to accidentally ruin armor like this. Consider what's feminine in that character's culture. Is a big booba? Then their play armor shouldn't have massive individual titty compartments like the world's longest mammogram. It should have a very large chest component. Is it feminine to have hips for days? That make the armor flare out the hips much wider than men's armor. Or are you a sophisticated man that likes the stomach and wants a reason to squeeze your cucumber to a character you made? then make the stomach plate carved to resemble that tum-tum you want to come-come on. Now the other part of this with the metal bikini is that in addition to other factors like heat or lack of resources, 
best way to show off your body is to show off your body. Of course, again, there's danger in this kind of application. You have to show their culture actually respecting or prizing a woman's body, and not in the creepy sexual way either, unless as a very well-constructed, not-horny plot point. I mean, in an actual way. When women are depicted nude in art in this culture, the audience isn't ogling. They're looking up at what is essentially an anime figurine on someone's desk, getting misty-eyed about how beautiful it is. There's also the personal reasons aspect of it. Is your character a woman that has been shamed and put down her entire life by puritanicals? Is her fighting naked, giving them the middle finger? Or is this a woman that has reclaimed her sexuality and is now proud to show herself off? Because metal bikinis and boob armor aren't just about world building and culture, but can be a personal choice too. She can very well be someone who simply is more comfortable or is actually able to focus without armor or clothing, or with armor that is literally molded to her exact silhouette. This is kind of leaning into the whole ancient Greek, ancient Egyptian, and Chaka Zulu thing of being immensely proud of your cut fucking bod and wanting to display it for the world to see, especially when you're a fight for your life. Now, because of the dangers to suspension and disbelief, while projecting that this character wants it, this is something you need to earn with your audience. You need to show them that this isn't a thing to ogle at. If you get distracted during a battle to say, she sashayed boobily, her honkers bouncing like a ship in the storm, you don't get to do this. If your character is played straight, as someone proud of their body, and you don't make a big deal of it, your audience might come along for, a for the ride. And if it's a moment of victory, throwing off the shackles of a patriarchy, trying to shame her or trauma causing her to hate her own body, assuming you've earned it, your audience will care even less about the boob armor because they're happy for her and are experiencing some well-earned catharsis. But again, the thing you have to really try to do is not make this a kinky, weird sex thing. I know to some people in the audience right now that might seem easy, let me tell you that the rest of the audience doesn't agree. Now we're going to talk about psychology. This is where we're going to talk about the excuses to have hot bods in your art. Whoops, sorry, I said the quiet part out loud. Anyways, the reason we've already introduced are terror tactics by seeming crazy, intimidation, both chiseled steel crunching abs and basically saying, I'm going to stalk on your ass, inspiration to yourself and allies by being the sexiest motherfucker on the battlefield, showing off your skill and the body you worked hard to get, and as a, distra and as a distraction. Now, all these are valid character motivations to some extent, but each one has some challenges with it. So, if your character is trying to look absolutely fucking nutters, what else are they doing to make that clear? Are they butchering people on the battlefield? Covering themselves in war paint and body parts? Because, sure, seeing someone naked on a battlefield is a shock, and if it's anatomically correct armor or bikini doesn't really matter... But that's not super scary in comparison to the horrific shit you see on the battlefield anyways. And your brain might be so fucked up at that point that it's just funny. So, how is it scary? And was this character's backup plan if it fails? Just shrug and go, well, guess this was an okay life. Now, the intimidation versus distraction factor is going to be more on your opponent. Say your character is like a 9 or a 10 on the hot scale, but doesn't have rippling abs and scars. Probably going to be a pretty good distraction until your opponent gets their balls on stuff from their mouth when they remember you're trying to remove their spine the hard way. If your character is covered in scars and muscle and tattoos of her eating babies, that's going to be intimidating because your opponent suddenly realizes the nature of their existence as a faceless minion and you as the main character too badass for armor. 
but for most people, there isn't a lot passively to do to push someone one way or the other. If your enemy thinks that they're Willie Von Johnson, they'll probably just be distracted long enough for you to give them an appendectomy with your axe. But they're more cerebral, and might realize that the person nearly naked in the middle of a war zone is probably showing off, and they survive this long, they're either really lucky or much better at this than they are. Now, let's say your character comes from an Amazonian-esque culture, surrounded all sides by deeply sexually repressed puritanicals. So in response to this pressure, their warriors wear basically zero armor, and focus on making their opponents jump between being turned on and horrified, more than a recently turned furry realizing they want to fuck a wolf person. So they do pre-battle rituals to get these puritanicals all hot and bothered, and then do the bog-standard female lead in an action movie martial arts that looks like it was plagiarized from the Karma Sutra. And before you go making fun of me, let me sweeten the deal for you by telling me this was an idea that I had. And look, go easy on me. 2020 was a bad year for everyone. And of course, showing off is showing off. Whether it's to inspire a group or just be a narcissistic dickhole, people will buy that as a motivation for wearing the armor. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't think about the answers and implications. If someone wears armor that makes her titties look massive and is carved to look like there's a naked woman going down on her to rally a feminist revolution, what happens when they go to a society where literally none of that is feminine? What happens when they're the only ones to give a single shit about their armor? And, of course, there's the logistical reasons. Wearing this kind of armor, being that metal bikinis are very lightweight and boob play is usually designed with a ton of gaps, is lighter than normal armor. Great to imply that your character has a lower carrying capacity than other people, or prefers to have very lightweight armor. Of course, if that's the case, they could wear a gambeson, but, you know, what the fuck do I know? I'm only a fucking nerd. Being that's lighter weight, it's also easier to pack around, especially if your battle gear only covers about 10% of your body on a good day. So you can move faster out of combat, too. And the maintenance on metal bikinis and combat lingerie is relatively low, meaning they don't necessarily have to stop nearly as often to fix armor or go to town and resupply. And what does all of this say about your character? Well, they're lazy, they want to be fast, or they're broke as fuck. Or all three. Or they're dumb and think they can dodge an arrow or a bullet like it's a video game. Or all four. So, before I soapbox, let me summarize. Write a good female character and then give her appropriate clothes for who she is and the situation she's in and your audience will be chill. Otherwise, they'll probably get distracted by how big of a neckbeard playing with action figures you are and will give up. On to the soapbox. So, after all of this, what do I think about metal bikinis and boob armor? I am still annoyed, but I don't see it as a god-awful trope that I thought it was. I'm sure it's not something I'll probably ever use, and it's something that is way overused, but I can see the merits. I, for a long time, I've been outspoken about armor being more realistic in fiction, and I think that this is just another part of it. Can boob armor be realistic? Yeah, absolutely. Focus on the abs. So many suits of armor glorify the male form, and a setting where women can and are be fighters it makes sense for them to also glorify and accentuate the female form. Can metal bikinis? Uh, maybe, in some situations. And do I fault people for doing this trope? I mean, honestly, that depends if they're a man or not. 
I know in some circles that's sexist, but honestly, if you're trying to justify using this trope by just meta-explaining it instead of writing a more interesting story as a dude, I see you as a basement troll skidding around on the ceiling jerking in mason jars. And if you aren't a man, then more power to you. And why do I think that? Because I think women deserve to take this trope for a spin and keep it if they like it. Because women creators make cool stuff. I would love to see what a lot of them do with boob armor tropes without the grubby little Dorito dust fingers some of us other nerds have left all over it. And also, if I can be real honest, it's kind of hot. Which also reminds me, I do feel kind of like a hypocrite talking about this trope like this. Because it works on me. But I find women attractive, and I'd be lying if I said I didn't have a warrior woman fantasy. I'd also be lying if I said that I didn't find boobs attractive. Which makes me feel like a hypocrite because I can make an almost two hour long episode touting the boob armor should be handled better and it's kind of scummy that seven tenths of it is marketing and three tenths is some dude being a horn dog. But someone threw a phone at me with pictures of Red Sonia open, I very well might be distracted long enough for them to completely flip it on me. I don't know, it's a topic that I think deserves a lot more discussion than a single dude on a podcast about nerd shit can do. Anyways, let's get out of here. All right, and there you are. A surprisingly introspective episode of Moments, and an unsurprisingly horny one. An unsurprising one where I added myself quite a bit. I hope you enjoyed and can, if nothing else, find my dumb shit charming. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast feed, like it, leave a review, whatever else it is you can do on your platform of choice. Send me an email at waytatpods at gmail.com. That is W-A-Y-T-A-T-P-O-D-S at gmail.com. With questions, concerns, opinions, compliments, insults, um actuallys, research papers, and validating my points so hard I have an existential crisis. You cosplaying any of the characters I mentioned, you crushing a watermelon with your thighs, your favorite moments, and really anything else that you want to tell me from the safety of your computer screen until I track your IP address and ask you in person why you call me a cocksucker in an email. Remember to check out my other podcast, Waytat, where I talk about terrible things happening in real life and also get pretty angry about it. Alright, have a good night, have fun, keep writing, and remember, titties are pretty good. This has been Why Are You Talking About This Nerd? I've been your host, William. Good night. Thank you.